If you could look inside you and in your heart, I'd like you to really try to answer this question. The question is this. What kind of community do you hope and dream for? But really, I'm asking each of you to really think about like, 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 what kind of community have you always wanted to be a part of? And how would you describe the kind of community where if you saw it, you would kind of go, oh, I would, I would die to be a part of that kind of community. Now, really think about that. I want you to really think about that. Now, I, I bet you that every single person here, like, maybe it's this part you're not very aware of, but I, I do believe that because you're made in the image of God, and, and think about this, before time began, God existed as three in one. Now, I can't really explain that, okay? But, but three, community, before time began. And so because... You know, folks like Dion and Calvin are made in the image of God. There's a part of your heart that just longs for communion. I know it's there. Because you're made in the image of God and God existed even before time began as community. So what kind of community do you dream of? Would you love to be a part of? Uh, I, I went to a home group retreat. No, it wasn't a home group retreat. It was an all-church retreat. It was, it was several years ago when my kids were really young. And I uh, came into contact with folks from another home group. And this home group shall not be named. But um, I saw something that, that really surprised me because it, it's, I'm a father of three. And when you have three kids, your idea of the kind of community you, you've always wanted changes. And I saw the way that this home group was relating to each other's children. Like the parents were were really treating the kids in their home group like their own kids. And the kids, they were all kind of the same age. They really enjoyed playing with each other. And they're relating to other parents as, like, really uncle and auntie. And I know that in this church we give this generic, oh, uncle and auntie. Everyone's an uncle and auntie, right? But these people really were, like, functional uncle and auntie. They, the kids liked them. And the kids liked each other. And it was, it, I was looking at this, and it was just during, like, the cafeteria during lunchtime. And the parents were getting like a food for each other's children. And just looking at that and going, you know, I was talking to Raina about that and just going, oh, I want that for my family. Like there's something about that. It's like, oh, I would die to be a, a part of that home group or I want a home group like that or how could I get myself one of those? You know, you just, you just like, it was, I was longing for a community like that where my family could have this extended family and I wanted that so badly. When was the last time you saw community where you felt like it was so good? That you're like, okay, I've never been to heaven, but I bet you that heaven has to be at least part of that because it was so good and it was so rich. I, I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this. Um, every time we go to either West Oakland or Richmond and we take the youth for like, a week-long mission trip or doing the ice screening. I, I always come away from those times. It's funny. I always come away from the time, and I always go like, I always say to like Raina, that had to be like the best week of my life. 
And then Raina always goes like, what, your honeymoon wasn't, you know? I mean, I'm like, no, 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 it's one of the best, you know, the, you know, one of the best, top 20. I'm not kidding you, every single time. And I'm, I'm thinking, why is that? And it's, I think it's because like during the daytime, you know, the community, we would be serving together. We'd be meeting the local people. We'd be praying for the local people. And so we were, we're serving, serving. It's not about us. It's about giving to other people. But then at the nighttime, like in, in Richmond, when we went two years ago, they had these couches in the lobby. And all the youth would get together on the couches. And we would just play games together every night. And I just remember, like, I haven't laughed so hard for a long time. You know, I think it was a mixture of just being tired from the day. And so you're punchy. And then you're together. And when you're together and you're punchy, everything's funny. You know, you don't have to work for a joke. You just say whatever and people are laughing and they're enjoying each other. And, and we even got like this... Like William Koyama, who was a very humble guy, he was like at night. He, but at night, he's trash talking, right? Of course, in the next morning, he like takes it all. Oh, I take that all back, right? But but you, you you get to see these different dimensions of people, and they come alive, and it's like, man, this is so fun. And then the next day, we get to we get to work together. We're gospel partners, and at night, we just get on the couch and we just start laughing together and just enjoy being together. And I'm just thinking, how can we kind of get that and live in that like? On a, more like on a weekly basis. Or maybe, can we go to Richmond and do that like once a quarter or something, you know? Because it, it's just so rich where you go, okay, I've never been to heaven, but heaven's got to have some of that. I'm just, I'm just betting, and I know it does. What kind of community just makes you ache? Like, oh, that's so good. I want to be a part of that. I want that. Uh, Francis Chan, who wrote the curriculum that we're, that we're walking through, he told this story one time he was in Korea. It wasn't too long ago. And he was meeting with this Korean pastor. Now, this Korean pastor was part of 23 missionaries that went to Afghanistan, and they were abducted by the Taliban. You might have read this in the news. I, I told my wife this story. She's like, oh, yeah, I heard about that in the news. So the Taliban abducted these 23 Korean missionaries and then they separated them to three groups so that they wouldn't be talking to each other. But the last time all 23 missionaries were together, one of them smuggled in a Bible in the back pocket. You know, because they were really emptied of all their possessions. But one of them somehow snuck in a Bible in the back pocket. And so when they were all together, this, this, this guy, he like ripped his Bible into 23 parts and gave them to all 23 missionaries just so that when the Taliban wasn't looking, they can kind of sneak in a few words of Scripture and just be strengthened and encouraged, especially in that time when they needed to be strengthened and encouraged. And then when they were all together, all 23 of them each went around in a circle and they all prayed, Lord God, my life is yours. And if you see it fit that I should die for your glory, I surrender my life. And you just imagine that kind of community coming together, saying we're completely devoted to the purposes of God. If you want to end my life, go ahead and end my life. And each one of them saying it and being strengthened and being strengthened by each other. And then during this meeting, the senior pastor turns to the group and says, Listen, if anyone's going to die for Jesus... If anyone's going to die for this group, it's going to be me. Well, the, the other pastor who was there said, No, I'm older than you are. 
you should respect your elder. If anyone's going to die for this group, it should be me. And then the senior pastor said, no, no. I am ordained, you are not ordained. If anyone's going to die for this group, it's going to be me. The senior pastor was executed. And then they took another person from the group and they killed him too before all the missionaries returned home. It was a true story. Now, when you hear the story, isn't there a part of you? Not, I'm not saying that we're, oh yeah, I would love to be tortured to death. But isn't there a part of you like, oh, I want to be a part of a community like that. That's so passionate for God. They would all go around the circle and say, Lord, live or die, my life is completely yours. And then just getting energized and synergized by the passion of other people. Like, don't you, isn't there a part of you like, oh, I would love to be a part of a, of a church that does that. It's that passionate for God. Now, my word to you is like, hey, go leave this church and, and find a church like that. That's not my word to you, but my word to you is, what do we got to do to become a church like that? How can we build that kind of church? What kind of community would you be like willing to die to be a part of? One that you hope and you, you dream about. Like, oh, I would love to be a part of a community like that. Now, let me ask you a question. What if we ask that same question to Jesus Christ? Jesus, what are your hopes and dreams for community? What's your hope? And it's interesting, whatever Jesus would say wouldn't be like a dream. It would be more like a command, like a vision, a plan. It would be more like a command. And actually, I picked a scripture where Jesus says, I give you this new command. So let's actually go there. Because whatever Jesus is going to say, it's not like, oh yeah, it's, it's one good thought among many. But no, Jesus, whatever Jesus' dream is, then all of us go, okay, whatever dream we had, our dream is going to be in line with Jesus' dream. Okay, let's, let's, let's go and, and, and hear these words about Jesus and his hope and his plan and his dream for community. Okay? This is John 13, starting in verse 34. Guess how many verses we're going to cover today? Two. Now, now some people are like, you know, I really like it when you cover more scripture. I do too, but listen, let me tell you, these words are so profound. Just these two verses. That you can build an entire message and an entire church just on these two verses, okay? So, so th let's go for it here. This is verse 34. Now, I want you guys to read this with me, would you? Okay? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Stop. Okay, now Jesus says a new, that word new commandment. You're like, okay, 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 guys, get ready for something new. Okay, get ready. Here, here's some newness coming your way. Okay, a new command. Okay, I give to you. What is it? What's a new command? That you love one another. You're like, okay, what? How's that new? How's that new? Now, now imagine you're one of the disciples, okay? And Jesus is like, okay, I got a new commandment for you. And you're like, okay, some, something new, something new. Give it to us, Jesus. And Jesus goes, my commandment is this, that you love one another. And you're like one of the disciples going, Jesus, we've been around you for three years. And this was a prominent part of your message. We've heard this before. How is this new? Now, <laughs> imagine this, the 12 disciples, they, 
they have the Old Testament scriptures, right? And in the Old Testament scriptures, there's a lot of laws. And a lot of those laws are binded by a common theme, which is love one another. And it says it directly in Leviticus. So you're thinking as a disciple, how is this new? How is this new? You said something new. And then Jesus says these next six words. Just as I have loved you. Okay. That's new. Oh, no, no, stay with me. Like before, it's like the standard of love is like, like kind of at the knees, you know? Like, yeah, it's, it, be nice to people, you know? I mean, help people out when you can, right? And then suddenly when Jesus said those six words, just as I have loved you, suddenly the standard of love just went like through the roof. Like love on a whole new level, right? Now, now how has Jesus loved them? In John 13, what did he do? Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. And then what did he do? This is the God-man. What did he do? Well, he's, he's at this dinner with his, with his 12 closest friends, and he sees this need, this real need, this stinky need. Their, their feet are dirty and they need washing. So he just kind of escapes from dinner. He slips out, and then he takes off his fine clothes, and he puts on a towel around his waist. So basically, he's putting on the clothes of this lowest kind of slave, and then he comes with this bucket, and then he's on his knees, and he's washing the feet of the disciples. God, man, bending down to wash feet. And it was a foreshadowing of what he was going to do several days later. Several days later, he was going to take the lowest place and die a torturous criminal's death on the cross to pay for the penalty of his friend's sins and to pay for the penalty of our sins. Just as I have done for you, Jesus says. There is uh, this preacher by the name of Brian Chappelle. And he tells a story uh, that, that came from his hometown. There were these two boys in his hometown, and it was before dinner. And they were playing by the riverbed side, which had a lot of sandy mounds. And in, as they were playing and jumping on the mounds and jumping down there was this one really compromised patch of sand. And when they jumped in the sand, you know, it went thump, and they, they basically were stuck in the sand. And then, you know, hours later, and hours later, and it was dinner time, and mom's wondering where the kids are at, and she's waiting, and she's waiting, and she calls the police and says, my kids are gone. And so they, 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 they organize this, like, you know, the search team. They scour the whole area by the riverbed and all the surrounding areas. And they finally found and one, of, one of the brothers. These guys were brothers. And so there was this younger brother. And he basically was all covered in sand, like, up to his neck. But his head was sticking out and his arm was sticking out. And he was unconscious. And so they found him and they quickly like uncovered the dirt all around to his waist. And he, he woke up out of his stupor. And they said, where's your older brother? And the younger brother said, I'm, I'm standing on his shoulders. And so the, the older brother, realizing that the younger wasn't going to make it, said, you know, I'm going to plunge down in the sand and you stand on my shoulders. And you just imagine the older brother, like you got all this sand in your eyes and your, your mouth, you know, and your nose, and then you're suffocating, but you're grabbing your younger brother's feet saying, here, stand on here. And that's a picture 
of what Jesus wants us to do with each other. It's a powerful picture. But the truth of the matter is that no one has that kind of love from themselves. No one here died to myself for this person that I don't know that well. And Jesus says, just as I have loved you, to the degree that you know that Jesus loved you, that Jesus died for you, then you will have this love to give to other people. But you won't have it unless you know that Jesus did this for you. That Jesus on the cross was surrounded by the sands of death and he suffocated on that cross. So, and he, then he grabbed your feet so that you could stand on his shoulders and be risen to life. Jesus did that for you, and to the degree that you know that, then you have love for other people. But if you don't know that, then you don't have love for other people. It's driven by the love of Jesus for you. What is this dream that Jesus has of community? It's this amazing community that loves each other so richly that they love to the point of sacrifice even to the point of death. It's this group that's saying, look, I actually would be willing to die for you. Do you want to be a part of a community like that? I I would imagine it's kind of like, maybe it's like a small group community where it's like, like if Raina and I were going to die, that the people in this church would actually take care of our kids. Or maybe it's the kind of community where if, you know, God forbid our parents were to die, that people would just drop their whole schedule and just be with us. You guys want to be that kind of community? It's marked by mutual self-sacrifice, this depth of knowing and enjoying one another. It's interesting, I was saying, what kind of community would you, would you just die to be willing to be a part of? And it's interesting, Jesus actually died so that this community could be realized. No, I think at this, at this moment, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering this, this one point because it really sounds like the way to be this community is you wait for the big events and the big opportunities where we can rise up and serve one another. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I actually think that the way that we prepare to be a community that sacrifices big when the time calls is we just sacrifice small every day. I'm reminded of the story where there was this policeman who said to his wife, honey, I would take a bullet for you. And she said, that's nice, dear. I just want you to wash the dishes. What would it look like to be a community that embraces a lifestyle where every day we just take these little tiny bullets And when the time comes, we take the big bullets, but we are sacrificing and serving and enjoying being together. Now, it doesn't have to be the really, really big things. Maybe it could be the really small things, just day by day, noticing the needs of the community, the needs of the members around us, and really stepping up to fill those needs. I'll tell you one story. It's not a big, huge story, but I'll tell you one story. So... I told you that we, we hired our new youth director. His name is On. And one day, it was like maybe two weeks ago, On comes up to me and says, Andrew, I, um, I have a present for you. I have a gift for you. I go, oh, cool. He says, why don't you follow me to my car? And so I follow him to his car. He takes out this brown paper bag and he says, I got you some black socks. 
He says, I, I've, I've noticed that you like to wear like some nice dress, dressy stuff. And, and I've also noticed that you wear like these white Costco socks. <laughs> and then he proceeds to give me a fashion tip. He says, you know something? When you're like going casual, then you should wear the white socks. But when you wear your dressy stuff, you should wear these black socks. Then he goes, Echon told me that this gift might offend you. I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not completely offended. <laughs> Funny thing, a week later, I'm in the car, Lynn's in the car, An's in the car. We're joking about the black socks. I'm like, yeah, yeah, An got me these black socks. I was actually really touched by it. And then Lynn turns to me and goes, he did? I go, yeah. And she goes, no. And I go, yeah, he did. And she goes, ah, I bought you black socks. I come home, I'm just like, wow, these guys are really looking for the needs of one another and really, and here's this real bastard with this big fashion faux pas and everyone wants to respond. I go home to Raina, I go, Raina, did you know that An did this? And then the following week, Lynn this and they're all looking for my needs. You know what Raina tells me? I bought you black socks <laughs> a year ago and they're sitting in your drawer and you haven't even worn any of them. Look, I'm not saying take the big bullets for each other. I'm saying, what would it look like to be a church that's taking all these small bullets for each other, looking for each other's needs, going out of our way to provide for little needs, little needs, small things. Now, let me ask you, um, is there someone that just had a baby and you could just give them a meal? That's real practical. Is there someone who has a loved one that just passed away and you could just write a card? Is there someone in our community that you haven't seen for a while? You just give them a call and see how they're doing. I mean, just the small things, the small bullets, just the small ways of submission, just saying, ah, it's just not about me. I want to be concerned about the needs of those who are around me. I want to care. Verse 35. By this, by what? By, by this, this love for one another, love unto the point of death, love unto the point of sacrifice, this community where there's this mutual self-sacrifice, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, let me repeat this. this is, again, this is so profound. Just think about all the implications of the verse. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want you to know that I'm a person that's really invested in all people knowing that we are disciples of Jesus and Jesus is real. I'm very, very invested in, in uh, the world, everyone knowing. Very invested. And I can tell you that because I'm a preacher and I love to preach, I can, I can come here on Sundays and I can be thinking, you know something, if I just preach and the Holy Spirit just anoints me, I say all these inspiring things, then you know, the world or at least the people in the church will know that Jesus is real. Or we can, you know, because we really work hard on this. We can craft a program where, you know, the worship is spot on and that, that, they have that song and this person is singing it. And then, then, ooh, you know, the whole church. And can you imagine Jesus going, no, 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 no. They'll know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If your love for each other is so self-sacrificing. You're so looking for the needs of other people. Then people will know that I'm real, that you're my disciples. 
You guys, uh, for people who write essays, there's that acronym K-I-S-S, KISS, right? And it stands for Keep It Simple, Stupid. I don't know who thought of the stupid part, but it's really effective in terms of, you remember that, right? Because sometimes like, oh, come on, just keep it simple, right? And then there was that phrase, I think it was George Bush, it's the economy, stupid, right? Can it be that this verse right here, I'm not calling you stupid, maybe me, but can it be that we're all into this programs and measuring the effectiveness and Jesus can be like, not Jesus, but my own voice here in the scripture saying, hey, it's the love for each other, stupid, uh, that was for me, okay? Tijuana. You know how we just commissioned this team? I don't know which year it was, but there was one year that we sent a team to TJ. And I'm not like pointing a finger at this team. I could very well have been on this team. So we go to TJ and, the, the, you know, like the mission is you got to build these homes. You're gonna, it, for one weekend, you're going to build and erect this home. It wasn't there before, but, but as, a, as a consequence of us coming to TJ, now there's this home. And so we, we, we went and we're laboring away. We've got hammers and nails and boards and we're fixing up this home. And, and, and all the while, the local people are kind of looking at us and looking at us, looking at us, working hard. And then they made this comment towards the end of the trip. They said, you guys don't really seem to like each other that much. And it wasn't that we had a particular disdain for each other, but it wasn't also that we had this particular love and enjoyment for each other either. We were just focused on building the home. Can it be that we missed the most important part, which was loving one another? Can it be like there's this angelic voice saying, it's the love for each other, stupid? Isn't that the mission? Isn't that the project? Jesus says, it's by your love for each other that all men will know. Oh, I thought it was how eloquent the evangelistic program. No, it's by your love for each other. Then all the world will know. You are my disciples. It's the love. How are we doing in that? Uh, How many of you guys are more people-oriented? Raise your hands. You know, there's project orientation. There's people orientation. How many of you? How many of you guys are more project-oriented? Raise your hands. Okay, about half-half. You know, when I go into a meeting, I measure the success of that meeting by how much stuff we got done. That's, that's me. I just, that is a successful meeting. Some of you all come to church, and you're like, I measure... <laughs> you, you just get your game on. You, got, you guys are busy doing stuff, Right? Can it be that sometimes we're so busy doing the stuff that we're missing the mission, which is the people and the love that we have for each other? No, but I'm doing this and I'm serving this and I'm doing this. And it's like, no, no, no. It's the people, stupid. I say stupid in the very most affectionate way, by the way. So, what can we do? I want to get real practical. I want to talk about application, okay? I want to get real practical with you guys here for just a couple minutes. Maybe one thing that you can do. Because it's really hard to be in a small group of people where people are mutually giving themselves to each other, enjoying each other, and sacrificing uh, for each other out of love. It's harder to do that when we're all together. It's like 100 plus people. But it's much easier to do that in a small group. 
And we have small groups that meet like on Wednesday. Most of them we meet on Friday. Maybe the next intentional step for you is to plug into a small group. Now notice I said small group. Uh, It doesn't have to be a home group, although home groups are the main vehicle for this kind of uh, community. But we have like, you know, ministry groups like the prayer team and other other places that do intentional community. But how about joining a home group? Because that's made for what we're talking about. Maybe for some of you, and I just have to realize I'm talking to different people in different places, the home group commitment is too big a step. Well, how about this suggestion? How about just inviting some people to your home and cooking a meal for them? Do you know what I did recently? I bought myself a Smoky Mountain Grill, 18.5 inches. I am learning to smoke meat. I am learning the fine art of smoking meat. Not only that, but I bought a heat lamp. And you know what I did last weekend? I invited all the home group leaders to come to my house because I was going to smoke some tri-tip for them. And you know what, what, what happened? That as, that, as far as I can recall, that's never really happened when, when I'm trying to do a home group leaders thing. They all came. No, I'm, I'm talking about this right now. Why did they all come? Why did they all come? You know, maybe it was like they wanted to pay homage to their lead pastor. Right? It's like, no, that can't be it. Maybe it was the personal invitation to my home. But I've come up with a new slogan. Smoke the meat and they will come. Maybe you guys have to buy a smoker. Uh, uh, buy some cheap meat, dress it up and invite your friends to come. And believe me, smoke the meat and they will come. Oh, it's just a very simple, practical thing. I want my home to be a place where relationships are built. There's this enjoyment of each other. And then from that care and love, we are mutually sacrificing our lives, our time, and our energy to love each other. I want that. I want that for my family. Smoker and heat lamp. Some of you guys are in a home group already. But you're like, this, this kind of community that you're talking about, we're just not there. Maybe the next step for you is, 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 is to be more vulnerable and authentic with the people in your small group. Like recently, Raina was going through a really hard time and she shocked me. They, we, we separated from men and women and, and then she told the women what, were, what was happening in her life. It was really personal, private stuff. I was, I was blown away because Raina's like, clearly she's the more private one. And, um, and she really took a big step in self-disclosure. Here's my junk. Here's the junk that's happened in my life. And those, those ladies came around her, and they prayed for her, they cared for her. I was amazed. Maybe one thing that's, that's keeping us from having that community is conflict. Maybe there's, there's some extra grace required people in the home group, or maybe you're in conflict with someone. And the, the, the step is for God to move in reconciliation. And if you guys need help from community, then, then call on that help and, and pray for that reconciliation. Maybe the barrier towards that community happening is that the group doesn't really have a lot of natural chemistry. Uh, last story before we close. I was talking to a member of a home group who shall not be named. And, and this, this home group member was saying, in all honesty, you know, she's talking to her pastor. She's saying, like, two years ago, my home group, there wasn't a lot of chemistry with each other. We didn't find a lot of common ground. You know, there wasn't this real natural and it wasn't this clicking. It just didn't happen. And for a time, we actually were considering disbanding because we didn't really click. So then there were some new leaders that rose from the group that, that wanted to renew the community. And so they actually took the home group on some retreats. 
And they actually had a series where each member was going to just share their story. And then something kind of amazing happened. The home group actually started to like each other. And then recently, there was a member that got up in front of the group and said, you guys, I I really like you guys. And I find myself, uh, I'm I'm reading between the lines of what was actually said, but I'm finding myself in my free time actually wanting to hang out with you. And I actually feel comfortable dropping by some of your houses unannounced just to say hello. And I'm talking to this man like, how exactly did this happen? And it's a little bit confusing. It's a little bit mysterious. But I think what happened is that commitment was driving liking each other. I think a lot of times we feel like, well, if you really like each other, then that drives towards commitment. And sometimes, maybe a lot of times, it's commitment to each other that actually drives liking. You spend time together. You share stories. You take steps of intentionality. And you know what happens? You actually start to like each other. I'm saying that this community is not just worth dying for, but it's what Jesus died for. Do you want to be a part of that community? Better yet, do you actually want to invest in making that community a part of our church? Some people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I like that. I can go find it somewhere. No, create that where you're at. Plug into a group and create that. It's not just a community worth dying for, but it's the kind of community that Jesus died for. And it can only be sustained if you know that he died for you and loves you. Then you have this love for other people. Nevertheless, it's the community that he died to create. So would you rise up with me as we respond to this great invitation? You have called us on this journey of following you, but you have not called us to go alone. There is this incredible invitation for each of us, not just to be a part of a community where there's mutual self-sacrificing love, but you've called us to actually form it, to actually die to create it. And I know that whenever there's a community that's like this, it's because people died to create it. They sacrificed to create it. Help us, Lord, to form this kind of community. The community that you actually died for. In Jesus' name we pray.